0: fifth chapter of Hilchastein Veniten, The Law of the Plaintiff and Defendant. Today's chapter contains 12 halachas and deals with various exemptions for cases where oaths do not apply in cases of financial disputes. Before we begin the pedic, it's wise to give a brief introduction as to the three categories of oaths. A Shvua Midyaraisa, a biblical oath, which as the Rambam will explain in this first halacha, there are three categories of the purely rabbinic oath, a shvua as says, only by rabbinic decree, and an intermediate sort of oath, one that although it is by rabbinic decree, nevertheless resembles a Torah oath, a shvua ke'en di'araisa, ke'en shol similar to a Torah oath in that one grasps a holy object such as a Torah scroll when one takes the oath. Tadak Hamishi, the fifth chapter, halacha alev. dvarim the following things, one does not take a biblical oath regarding them. And there are four categories of exemptions from uh, oaths of the Torah. HaKarkois, land. BaAvadim, slaves. Hashtores, documents. BaHakdeshe, sanctified objects. What does it mean that one is exempt from a Shavu The Rambam explains in this and the next halacha. Even though one partially admitted the claim against him as the Rambam will give an example in Allah Base. Beis where this is one case where no, one would normally have to take a Shavu Adiyar Aisa or there is one witness testifying against him which as we mentioned previously that although two witnesses are necessary to make him pay one witness is sufficient to make him take a Shavu Adiyar or perhaps he was a guardian and made the claim of a guardian regarding the object such as in the case where he was an unpaid watchman, he claims that it was lost or stolen, and so on. As we explained previously, that he would be exempt from payment, but would have to take a shvudhi a biblically ordained oath. In any of these cases, if the claim was regarding one of these four categories, karka, avod, and shtaros he is exempt from swearing. How do we know about these exemptions? Because it says in Shmeis Chavbeis, Vav, Ish El It says, when one person gives another money or utensils. So the album now analyzes this pasuk. Ish El that one person gives another Pratla This comes to exclude sanctified objects. Because since it already belongs, has been dedicated for the Beis HaMikdash, for sanctified purposes, it's not called one person giving to another. It's already been given to Hashem. The other three exclusions come from the, the expression kesef money or utensils. As the Rambam now says, kesef money or utensils. This verse comes prat Karkois v'la vodim shuhuksh comes to exclude land because both money and utensils are movable, unlike land. It also comes to include slaves, servants who are compared to land. But halachically, the gemara compares slaves and land since the chumash says that they are both given over an inheritance. Therefore, whatever laws apply to land apply to servants as well. The yotzu and so to documents, if someone owns a document. It is also excluded from this law. Shein gufam momen They have no intrinsic worth like money or of utensils. And they, their only worth is for the proof that they offer. But they themselves are not worth money. Therefore, for all of them, no biblical oath is taken. Therefore, for all of them, there is a rabbinic oath to deny them if there was a definite claim against them. Since in all cases where one denies a claim, there is a rabbinic oath that involved. Chut involved. This is with the exception of sanctified objects that even though one is exempt from a biblical oath as we mentioned at the beginning of the locha our sages decreed that one should have to take the intermediate level of oath the one which is similar to a Torah oath holding a sacred scroll or sacred object in order that people should not treat hektish, sanctified objects disrespectfully because of the chumrah of hektish they established a more strict type of oath halacha base. and this halacha deramim gives concrete examples of all of these exclusions sh'tesad li. if the plaintiff claims that you sold me two fields and the other one answers that I only sold you one field which this seems like a classic case of Maidibimiktas, which a partial admission, which, as we mentioned before, normally in the partial admission, the defendant would have to take a biblical oath to deny the part which he does not admit to. Or, You have two of my servants, or two documents which belong to me. And the defendant says, That, I only have one document or one of your servants. Even though normally this would seem to be a Maidah mixas, that would be a biblical oath. There's only rabbinic oath in this case because Avodim, Shtares and Karkois are all exclusions from the law of biblical oaths. So too if one claims that this Courtyard, slave, or document, which you have really belongs to me. And you sold it to me. And the defendant says, This never ever happened. I never sold it to you. This belongs to me. So regardless of whether the plaintiff can bring one witness or whether he cannot, He takes a rabbinic oath and then is exempt. Certainly, if there was no witness brought by the plaintiff, then the defendant would only take a shavuot heses and thereafter be exempt. The chiddush here is that even though he has one witness, and normally the defendant would have to take a, a biblical oath to deny his claim, over here since it involves one of our exclusions, he is exempt by only taking the rabbinic oath. The duha and so to someone that dug in a field different types of pits, but Sheikh and is a different shape pits, and thereby ruined the field. He decreased the value of the field by digging there without permission. and he would have to pay, should there be witnesses that he did this. So regardless of whether the plaintiff said that you dug these holes, and he answered, I didn't dig Or the claim against him was that he dug two pits. And he answers, no, I only dug one. Or whether there was one witness against him that said he dug and he answered, I didn't dig. In any of these cases, in spite of the fact that normally we would have to take a biblical oath over here, since it involves one of our exclusions, he takes only a rabbinic oath on all of these cases. The next halacha deals with a mixed sort of case, that part of the claim involves kelim, utensils, for which one would have to take a biblical oath, and a part of the claim involves land, which is excluded from this biblical oath. Halacha Gimel, the plaintiff claims that the defendant owes him both utensils and land. So in this case, Bainsha hated Bahois, Ba, regardless of whether the defendant admitted that he owed the land, but denied owing, owning, owing the Kalin. Ba Ba or the converse, that he denied owing any of the vessels, and he admitted, excuse me, he admitted owing all of the vessels and denied owing the land, and Bainsha hated the Mituskarkais. And regardless of whether he partially admitted to the land and partially denied the land, and denied also, owing all of the vessels. In all of these cases, he takes only a rabbinic oath, since he never was made to be mikzas, partially admitted in kelim. He always either denied or admitted to the kelim. But if he partially admitted to the vessels and partially denied these vessels, and he denied also owing all the land, in this case, he certainly would have to take the biblical oath of a meidibimixus on the part of the kalim which he denies. And since he already must take a, a biblical oath on the few vessels the utensils which he denied he must swear also for all of the land that he was claimed regarding since it is all considered one large claim and we include his denial of the land with his denial of the vessels since he already is required to take a biblical oath for them so too the law is that he was claimed that he owed vessels and slaves or vessels and documents, even though they are excluded, hakol din It all has the same law. Should there be a partial, amei de b'mixus in the kalim, then one includes in this oath the claim against the excluded categories, the avodim ashtares as well. Halacha dalit. In this halacha, the Rambam deals with an intermediate sort of case. When is it that something is considered land? After all, fruit grows from the land, but it is considered matzal a movable object. What about fruit, which is still attached to the tree, or, or grain, which is attached to the ground? If the claim against him was that he owed grapes, which were ready to be picked, or dried grain, which was ready to be, uh, to be cut, he admitted owing partially, and partially denied. A classic case of Maidibimitsas. Here the question is, is this, uh, these grapes and this grain considered to, to be metaltolin, movable objects, or land? He must take an oath on them, meaning a biblical oath, just as he must for all movable objects. However, this is only after they have reached the level where they no longer need the ground for nourishment. Because anything which is ready to be picked is considered like it already has been picked as far as this denial and admission is concerned. As far as these laws are concerned, although it has not yet been picked, it's considered already picked and therefore in the category of a movable object. However, if it still needed the land for its nourishment, it is considered land as far as all laws are concerned, including this. And therefore, one only takes a rabbinic oath should one have a claim against them regarding them. If one claims against another, saying, a landlord says that you lived in my courtyard for two months, and you have to pay me rent for two months. You owe me two months' rent. The defendant claims, no, I only lived there for one month, therefore I only owe you one month's rent. Now, is the rent for the land considered land, and thereby excluded from the law of Maidim and Miktas? Or do we look at the money involved exclusively, regardless of the fact that it has to do with land? The Rambam rules, it's considered a regular case of partial admission and he must take a Biblical oath. Should the amount of rent for the one month he denied be worth two pieces of silver? As the Rambam explained in Patek Gimel, that there is a minimum amount only after which the denial has involved that much does one take the Biblical oath. Should it have, have a denial of Shnei Kasef then he must take the Biblical oath. Why? Isn't this considered to be land? So the Rammam explains, The claim against them was not in the land itself. It was for the rental fee for using the land. That's movable. The rental fee is movable. Aye, it's rental fee for land, but that doesn't mean that the claim is against the land. The claim is not against the, the land. The claim is against is for money, it's for the rental fee. Therefore, he... I must take the oath of a maid of a mixos The plaintiff says that I gave you a document to hold, and I had proof in it, that it was in other words, it was good for me to collect with the ten dinar. and the defendant says, that such a thing never happened. You never gave me anything. says he takes only a rabbinic oath. And even though normally when a watchman denies the claim against him, he must take a biblical oath. But as the Ramam explained previously, in Hilchus Chidus, this applies only when he agrees that he was a watchman and then says that it was lost or stolen, as the various cases can be. However, over here, he never even admits that he was a shamer in the first place, that he was a guardian. And therefore, it's a regular case of a clear denial, a kefir hakol, and therefore he takes only a rabbinic oath. Let's say, hafachalov, let's say he reversed the oath and put it on the plaintiff, as the law is by Ashbu'ath Heses, that instead of the defendant swearing and denying the claim of the plaintiff and thereby being exempt, he can, if he so wishes, put the oath back on the plaintiff and tell the plaintiff if you want to collect you can but you must take this oath. And let's say he did it over here he reversed the oath onto the plaintiff The plaintiff swears a rabbinic oath that he had in his document a proof good enough to collect ten diner and he lost his right to collect it with the loss of this document and then he is allowed to collect the money. However, that the truth is that you did give me this document, but it was lost. Not only is he exempt from taking a biblical oath, but he's even exempt from the rabbinic oath. He's exempt even from the rabbinical oath. Because even if he was negligent and lost the document, he is exempt from payment. As the Rabbim explained in the Lords of Damages. The commentaries have some problem with this law. As the Magad Mishnah learns that over here the Ramam is talking about a case when the defendant does not really believe the claim of the plaintiff. And therefore, in this case, he is exempt from any type of oath. If one person claims against another, that a document of mine, which you are holding, has contains within it some merit for me, some schuz, some financial advantage, which can accrue to me as a result of what's written in this document. And the defendant says, that I'm not going to show this document to you. Or even he says uncertainly that I don't know if there's a proof for you or not. In this case, the court forces... This person to produce the document in order to see whether the other one has any zchus, any merit, any gain which can accrue to him as a result of this document. Let's say the defendant claims that he had this document, but now he lost it. Machrim in stam. The only thing the plaintiff is allowed to do is to make a general statement of chedem excommunication against anyone who was claiming that he lost the document whereas he really didn't. As the has explained many times, this was one of the takonis of the ga'inin, the generation after the close of the Talmud, and between them and the rishenim, that in a case where an actual oath cannot be administered, at least a cheyrim stam can be administered. Let's say this one claims, the plaintiff claims that he knows for sure that the defendant is holding on to this document. Can claim, In such a case, the defendant must take an oath that it was lost from him and he no longer has it. The difference is whether the claim of the plaintiff is a certain one or not. Should it be an uncertain claim, he's only claiming a Shema, perhaps you, lo- perhaps you lost it in an improper way, and we don't make the defendant swear. Wherefore, if the claim against him was a definite one, that I know you're holding this document, in such a case you can force him to take a rabbinical. Because I, and so too my teachers, have ruled that in such a case, the Shavuot Heses must be taken. Halachates. From here, basically to the end of the parak, the Ramam deals with the claims of a cheres sheyte of a person that's a deaf-mute, or a person mentally incompetent or a minor. What is the status of their claims? Halachates. Ein al-tainas We do not make someone swear on the claim of a deaf-mute, one mentally incompetent or a minor. Echad at b'tainas atzumay oi b'tainas regardless about whether he is coming with his own personal claim or he is coming to claim in, on behalf of his father who is now deceased. In other words, he himself didn't initiate this claim. The claim was initiated by his father. Why is it that the, the, their claim cannot, be, cannot bring one to an oath? The The little bit, in the case of Maidim and that one admits to the claim in the case of a minor is considered like returning a lost object. And as the Ramam explained in Dalit, in the previous paddock of these halachas, that if one was not required to return anything at all, and he does so, then this bid would not make the part he's denying a made of He's not being made with this part, it's as if he's returning a lost object to him. In the case of Mesha Bavinda, our sages did not decree that there should be an oath. That this is con- considered to be a separate thing that he returned part of it and is denying the rest. And so too, if the defendant denies completely the claim against him, and along comes one witness to support the claim of the minor. Normally, in the case of a we would have a shvua but in this case, ain't nishba. He is not required to take an oath. This is all. This is only one witness here. The ain't and there's no one that's claiming. There has to be first a a definite claim against the defendant, and then one witness to substantiate this definite claim. Over here there's no teveya, there's no one that has legal standing to claim. Shatzviyah's cotton ain't a because the claim of a minor is not a a complete claim. As the commentaries compare it to the claim of a Shema, that if the claimant, the plaintiff would say, perhaps you have some of my money, this is the strength that a cotton's claim has. Therefore, even with one witness, he cannot bring the defendant to swear. Nimsus Eimer, so it comes out that we say, Katnjomaru a child, a minor, who says to a grown person that you have a hundred of mine, oy Abaha or my father has a hundred which is in your hands, Eimer, Ein And the defendant answers, No, I only owe you fifty, which seems to be a classic Maidim Mikzahs. Or he completely denies the claim, but there's one witness to, to substantiate the claim of the minor. Nevertheless, Never the, 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 the defendant is exempt from making an oath by Torah law. As we will see in the next halacha, nevertheless, he must take a rabbinic oath to But at least from the Shavuot, he is exempt now that Adam gives some even though a cotton is involved, nevertheless, the defendant will have to take a sminata a la cotton, but if he was a guardian, a watchman for a for a cotton, the Toanshah Obad and he claims that the object he was guarding was lost, hadish he is required to take the regular oath that a guardian must take. Uh, meaning a watchman. Because the case of a watchman swearing is not because of the claim against him. In a normal case, where the owner of an object makes a claim against the watchman of an object, he doesn't know for sure that anything was taken or anything was done. He is claiming a Shema. And and he's claiming, perhaps something happened and you were responsible for it. Nevertheless, the Torah took this oath and made it uh, a necessity for this watchman to take it. Since we see that the Torah made the watchman take an oath, even in the case where there's no definite claim, therefore it's the same thing here. Just as the cotton cannot make a definite claim, ain't a tviya gemura, like the Rambam said before, over here you don't need a tviya gemura. Even without a definite claim, you can make the defendant take an oath. So too so over here, the watchman must swear. And so too, someone that admits that he was a partner with a minor, or it was a guardian for the minor's estate. Uh, the court appoints uh, 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 a new guardian for the minor and they make this, the partner swear. Or anyone similar in the case of an indefinite claim of a Tain shema. That just as in the case of a Shutaf, one partner can make the other one swear even though he's not sure that the other partner cheated him, as we discussed in previous halachas. So too over here, it's a tainesh and over here it's a cotton. So since we don't need a definite claim, we can also make someone swear, although a cotton is involved. Halacha Yud. My teachers ruled, that this that we say, that one cannot declare an oath. Based on the claim of a minor, he was speaking about an oath of the Torah. But at least a rabbinic oath one is required to take to deny the claim of a minor. And even a child who is not so expert and not so quick regarding business matters, Nevertheless, the defendant who is being accused must take a rabbinic oath regarding this claim. Why is it that he must take a claim, even though it might be a child who is not expert in business dealings? In order that people should not take money or property away from a minor, and then go away without having to pay anything, without being bothered at all. The, and says that his opinion also leans in this direction, that one is required to take a rabbinic oath, And this is something which helps the general welfare to help establish the world, that it should behave in a proper fashion. Nimsus law made, so it turns out that we learn the general principle: Shakat and shaitatan that a child who has a claim against an adult, Bain regardless of whether the adult partially agreed or completely denied. Regardless of whether there was one witness or not, he is required to take a rabbinic oath but is exempt from the Torah oath. And furthermore, another special law, normally as we mentioned in the case of a Shavua's the defendant has the opportunity to be mahafecha Shavua, to reverse it and make the claimant, the plaintiff take the oath and thereby collect but over here, he is unable to reverse the oath on the child. must in a because you never ever make a minor swear. So, to over here, you cannot be ma'am because it's impossible for him to swear. Furthermore, normally in a case where someone has to swear, they're allowed by tikkun ad as we mentioned previously, to make a chedem stam, a general declaration of excommunication against someone who makes him swear needlessly. But over here, rapi hu chedem in a He's not even allowed to declare this chedem stam. Because the minor doesn't fully realize the strict punishment for taking an oath. He doesn't realize the whole idea of an oath and how serious it is. So what's the point of making a declaration that someone that makes him take an oath is in chedem? The child doesn't realize how serious the oath is. Therefore, it's completely ineffective. For that reason, we don't declare this chedem stam. This was all speaking about cases where the child, the minor, had the claim. Let's say the child is the defendant. Aleph. shatan no A case where the adult has a claim against the minor. We look and see whether the child, the minor, had any benefit from this transaction or not. Im If the claim was regarding something where the minor had benefit. Kogayin asik masum Mat. For example, a business dealing where the cotton cut, the could make money. And the miner admits that he owes this money. He admits the claim of the adult. He is allowed to be repaid from the belongings of the, of the child. Let's say the miner has no belongings from which to repay. We do not collect by selling other things which he has. We wait until he has something and then we get repaid from that. Let's say the minor denies the claim against him. Normally, when one uh, uh, completely denies a claim, he is required to make a Shavuot heses, taking a Rabbinic Oath. Over here, Mamtini Nashi Yagdil You must wait until he grows up, until he turns bar mitzvah, and then he will take this Rabbinic Oath. Because before then, he is not allowed to take an oath. And if the claim, however, was regarding something where the child had no benefit, for example, tort cases or personal injuries where he was required to pay damages, even though the child might agree, might admit owing the money, and even though he does have from what to pay, but that he is exempt. Furthermore, even after he grows up, he still doesn't have to pay back, because since it was something from which he had no benefit, he has no legal responsibility. Let's say the claimant, the plaintiff, was one of those in the category of people that are nishboin v'naitlin; they can take an oath and thereafter collect. For example, a hired worker or someone similar. But the law is that if he says he has not been paid, he is allowed to take an oath, and then take away the payment from his employer. So, for example, him, she where there was benefit accruing to the minor in the fact that he had someone working for him. He is allowed to swear and thereafter collect from the child. But in another case of Nishba in a special case, of a storekeeper who swears based on what is written. In his account book, as Rambam explained in Hilchas Malva that if an employer tells a storekeeper that when my employee comes in for food, then I will pay for it. And this he is doing as part of the wages of the employee. So the employee is, let's say the employer is required to pay him uh, a mona and he comes into the store and he orders a mona worth of food. The chenveni writes it down on his, on his account book and later on says that your worker took a hundred and you must pay for it. Let's say the chenveni, the storekeeper, claims he gave the food and the worker claims that he never ever received it. The Ramam explained in Parakta Zionabil Khasmala Valeva, that both of them swear and collect twice from the employer. The chenveni swears that he gave that he gave the food and thereafter collects from the employer, and then the employee claims that he did not receive it, and then he collects from the employer. And this is again the cases of Nishboy and v'naitli. So this, the Namam says, is an exception to our law that a nishboy and v'naitling are allowed to collect from a child. Let's say the employer was a minor. Normally we would say the storekeeper would swear and collect from the minor, and the employee would also swear and collect. The Amman says, no, this is an exception to the rule. the shopkeeper who swears... Based on what's written in his account book, cannot swear and thereafter collect from the child. This is a case where the minor did not have any benefit. Why does he not have any benefit over here? Isn't still this is this payment going to his employee? No, over here, he's anyway going to be required to give to his employees. Furthermore, the employees themselves will swear and then collect from the miner. So therefore, what is the chenveni, what sort of benefit is the miner getting out of this chenveni, this stop, this Anyway, even without him swearing and collecting his money, the same benefit will accrue to the cotton as a result of his employees working. And furthermore, they're going to come back and work for him, because they're anyway going to get their money. They're going to swear and take away from the cotton. So why is it we should let the chenveni swear only in a case, as we mentioned in the beginning of the lacha, where the miner has benefit from this transaction, only in such a case is one allowed to, to take an oath and thereafter collect from the child. Over here, the chenveni did not do any act which would bring benefit to the cotton. Aye, why should the chenveni be the one to suffer? So the Rambam answers, V'za'a chenveni he al This storekeeper ruined it for himself. Shanosan al-pi cotton. Since he gave away some of his money on the directions of a minor. He shouldn't give away money based on the promise of a minor knowing that the minor does not have full financial responsibility. but king so too in all similar cases. Now the final halacha of the parakh, halacha yudbeis. In these last few halachas we have been speaking about the cotton exclusively the minor. But the rabbi mentioned together the cheresh, shaita and cotton. What is with the Chedesh and Sheta? The Rabbim explains, A Chedesh, one that is a deaf mute, vha shaita, one that has no mental responsibility, Eim niskokin lahem l'chol t'ayna. We The court does not even listen to them regarding any claim. Lait l'tayinos ama Not their claims against others, V'lay l'tayinos acherim And not other people's claims against the Chedesh and Sheta. L'ay l'shvua k'ala, Ve'n tzorach khamura chamura i'tashlumin. Not in order to make someone take a light oath, meaning a rabbinic oath, and certainly not to make someone take a biblical oath or to have to actually pay money. This is a cheresh nesheta, aval hasuma but someone that is blind. He is considered like a fully healthy person in everything we've mentioned here. V'nishba kol al and he takes all different types of oaths, and so, too, other people have to take oaths in order to deny his claims. He has full legal responsibility and, and standing when it comes to legal cases, financial cases. Therefore, he is like any other plaintiff or defendant. The Rambam explains in Hilchas Edus, and Hilchas Anhedrin, that a blind person is disqualified from bearing witness or from being a judge. Nevertheless, as far as being a plaintiff, he has the full rights as any other Plaintiff or defendant.